know what's a better theme? I love my theme. But I think one of my favorite themes is the Sanford and Son theme. The Street Beater. You know who wrote that? Quincy Jones. And that's one to grow on. It's Too Lazy to Write with your host, moi, Mr. John Baker, the real John Baker. And a funny little story. Had my birthday last week. That's the whole story. Came around uh, this year, just like it does every other year. And uh, I'm another year older. Things are uh, things are good. You know, I got all my hair, got all my testicles. I'm happy. So, what do we have in store today for today's uh, episode? Episode, episodic adventure. Today we talk to comedian Simon Rakoff, Canadian comedian Simon Rakoff. Does that last name sound familiar to my listeners? It should, because um, I had uh, Simon's sister on uh, as one of my first guests, Ruth Rakoff. We we discussed uh, the summer of 1982 at Camp Gesher. I'm pretty sure it was 82. And the virus. But Simon and I uh, briefly touched on Camp Gesher. We uh, actually really talked a lot about... Um, there was some news this past week or two back in Canada about um, comedians and uh, Sirius XM and Just for Laughs and uh, the distribution of royalty checks, I guess, or royalty payments. Um, and Simon got into it and we talked all about it and that was interesting and we looked back on uh, on some other stuff. We reflected on the career of John Candy, who uh, uh, this week, it's the 25th uh, anniversary, I guess you'd say, of his passing. So we talked about John Candy. Uh, he threw some jokes around, talked about when it's best to see comedy, daytime, nighttime, etc., etc. Some good stuff. Uh, I spoke to Simon from, <laughs> I like saying this because it sounds like, I do sound a little bit CBC-like or NPR-like or any radio station that they talk to people. Like, I spoke with Simon from his Toronto, via via FaceTime uh, from his Toronto home. And here's what he had to say. Thanks a lot. Listen up. It's a great interview. Simon was gracious, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, so here it is, Simon Rakoff and I talking about comedy and other stuff. Simon, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I, I appreciate you uh, coming on this podcast. Um, I'm hoping your fame and celebrity will help propel my podcast to a whole new level. Ooh, well, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm hoping your podcast propels my fame and celebrity to a whole new level. So there you go. Well, I'm actually I'm I'm quite privileged. You're the second rack off I've interviewed. I interviewed your sister uh, on one of my earlier. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, we spoke of. Um, Camp Gesher and the summer of the virus. Uh, <laughs> were you were you there that summer? Uh, I don't remember a virus, but maybe memory loss is a, one of the you know one of the symptoms. So that was um, eighty two, I think. Eighty two? No, I would have been gone by eighty two. Okay, okay. I'm the eldest. You are the elder. You're the elder Rakoff. And do, do I understand correctly, your father was named, re, not recently, I guess, within the last year or two, to the Order of Canada? That's right. It was great. We went and watched the whole thing. It was very exciting. That was under the last GG, right? Not the current one? That's right. Well, that's amazing. You're a family of smarty pants people, huh? Clearly. 
<laughs> but so um, for people who don't know, and I'm sure there's none out there who don't know this, you're a very successful Canadian stand-up comic, correct? Yes, I guess. I'm, I've been doing it a long time and gotten to and made a living at it. So yes, I guess in Canada, that's a very successful comedian. And um, I've been following you lately, and now it's an old story, but I wanted to talk about it. What was going on with Just for Laughs and Sirius XM? Because this was a big deal, right? Huge. Well, for us. Um, okay. Uh, what people may not realize, because, you know, obviously if you're not actually in the business, you're seeing it from the outside, and it just seems like, wow, they get to talk and make a living. But in fact, it's very tricky to make a living in Canada. It's uh, a huge space with very few people, this Canada. So it involves a lot of travel, which costs a lot of money, you know, just to get around. And, um, you know, we're not paid the kind of money Americans are paid. So it's very tricky to cobble together a living. There's very little television. There's, and there's a little bit of radio, but the main money that I make and many comedians make is by the radio play on the satellite of our comedy albums, which we produce independently. <laughs> and then they're played on a channel that's currently called Canada Laughs on uh, Sirius XM. And then there's a company in the States that, that collects the residual payments for these plays and sends us checks. And that is more than half of my income is made from that, oddly enough. Wow. Um, well, suddenly it turned out that we were not being played on this channel, and we all wondered why. And it turned out that they had made a deal with Just for Laughs, the people who run that festival in Montreal, uh, and a bunch of tours across the country, etc., uh, for them to take over the programming, and they were going to put their material, their their archived material from their festivals and stuff, as the programming on the channel, which would effectively mean that we would no longer be getting played and paid, more importantly. And was that, so, sorry to interrupt, but uh, was that like the so... comedians got together, and thankfully we had established um, the... Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians mm -hmm. about a year ago. So we had sort of a body to, you know, organize and go through. And we organized essentially a big letter writing and media and political campaign saying this is going to crush us, which it would. We would be destitute without this income. And uh, the press, you know, took it on and the public responded and the politicians responded and and just for laughs was very responsive to it and reversed the decision i mean it's still going to be branded just for laughs but it's going to continue to play our independent recordings which is going to allow us to continue to survive so so essentially the the fest or the the name the festival just for laughs was really going to buy out that station is that Kind of what I I'm, don't know about how the business works. I don't know if they bought it or they were just going to be programming it or, you know, I have no idea. Hmm. Interesting. And I'm not a business person. I just know that our money was going away. So when, when it comes to them, uh, putting you on, on, on the Canada laughs channel, do you submit material to that or is well i recorded an album i have a cd that people can buy if they want online called 
surrounded by idiots. Okay. Okay. And they play cuts from my album. Okay, so they would have like a program director who would curate the the. That's Ben Miner. What has been the guy who curates? Oh, okay. He's been okay. Very good about making sure that a lot of comedians get a lot of airplay. It's really nice. And um, and He's now a comic you, as well. And now, as a result, you guys have sort of it's a victory for you guys. Oh, it's a huge victory! It's shocking, you know. The little guy never wins in these situations. Somehow. <laughs> But we really were in the right. I mean, it really was bad optics for them that the actual comedians were going to lose money. Right. While the company that, you know, is already doing better than we are would make more. It just didn't look good. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's, that's great for all of you and your, your um, peers. That was the word I was looking for. It is. And I think it's good for Canada and comedy. I mean, you know, you need, you need the people who actually make the work. To have some impetus to keep working and some ability to survive while they do. That's true. That's true. And um, so, I, like you, we like we talked about. You're a working comic. Um, how long has this been going on for you? Well, I started in high school, so I've been a comic for over forty years. So I want to know. My anniversary is April. So this past, last last April, it was forty years. It, and was it like a talent show type thing, or did you just get on stage at a club? Oh, no, no, I went on at the first comedy club to open in Toronto in 1978. Wow. On uh, They didn't even have amateur night because there were hardly any comedians. So, you know, there were, there were even fewer people wanting to try comedy back then. Um, so we would go on after the... The professional show on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. They okay. would say, "Okay, if you want to stick around, we've got some, you know, some amateurs who want to try." And then they put us on. Wow, wow. Or me on. Often it was just me, the only amateur, because you know, like I said, now it's crazy. Now there are open mic nights every night of the week, pretty much at some venue, and you know, hundreds, hundreds of comedians vying for spots and amateurs trying and. And, and uh, I mean, there's programs where people study comedy uh, at college and stuff. So, I mean, it's really become enormous. But you, now that you've been doing it for, for this many years, um, obviously you've seen changes over time. And there's, you know, you hear stories about comics having to sign um, agreements at colleges and, and um, at other venues where they won't talk about subjects or, or they'll refrain from, you know, their, their bluer material. I've heard of that. And like what, I, I'm just curious. I haven't worked colleges in a long time. I, I mean, when I was young, I worked colleges cause I was sort of not much further from them. Now it's, I can't see myself being much of a college act. At right. Almost 60, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a very different point of view from, kids are likely to want to hear. Um, but, you know, I've done a lot of, for instance, corporate shows, and I still do a lot of those for companies or or uh, work things or private parties. And, you know, you've got to be able to tailor your act for the audience that's there. That's important. Right. Has there ever been just, do you have a, a standout from a corporate or a, or a regular show that was just so off the rails bizarre it happens all the time that, that, you know, you're just not right for the gig. I mean, that's not 
That's not uncommon. I mean, look, at this point in my life, uh, A, I have a lot of safeties, which means I have a lot of material I can go to. So almost regardless of the crowd, I can figure out how to make, how to win. Right. Um, and I've also learned, you know, when I hear about a show that it's likely not for me if it's not, and I can say, yeah, this is not something I want to do, and I just turn it down. But yes, I mean, there's no way to avoid a situation that's not work, not going to, you know, where it's impossible for it to work. Um, but I can't think of anything offhand from recently. I mean, I remember when I was about 19, I played a biker bar in Scarborough, <laughs> and I was just not right. <laughs> and it was, you know, really, really scary and bad. Um, I mean, I got out safe, yeah. but I didn't get any laughs at all. <laughs> you know, I have nothing to say to these guys. Yeah, They were not my people. No, no. And then, so who but are... Who... Because I've learned that, in fact, the audience doesn't have to be like me for me to be able to get through to them. Mm -hmm. But... Back then, I just didn't have the experience to deal with it. So you said they weren't your people. So who who were your people then, and now who are your people? Well, then I would guess it would be more, you know, downtown city folk. Uh -huh. um, but frankly, now I can, I mean, I do my act across the country in, in big and small communities for diverse crowds of all different ethnicities or complete lack thereof and ages and I, I managed to make it work because I've got, you know, I've got the chops. I've yeah. developed I've developed what I need to. Is in your opinion, is comedy better in the evening or in the afternoon? Oh, in the evening for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are no day clocks. <laughs> I was once at a um it was a ceremony, I guess it was an, a luncheon to honor or to recognize people who had been volunteering for a festival for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And it was the middle of the afternoon and they brought a comic out and the room was dark, but then when you went outside, the light hit you and it just didn't feel right. No, it's, it's, it tends to be a, a nighttime activity. I mean, most entertainment is nighttime, but you know, that's just how we kind of feel about it. It's, 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 it's sort of like daytimes for work and nighttimes for fun. Yeah, exactly. What I'm sure you've been asked. Um... Yes, I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, but you have daughters, right? I have one. One daughter. Okay. Why? What have you heard? <laughs> well. Did somebody call you? I, I've seen. Uh, I I've seen the one that lives with me. I've seen a striking resemblance to you in uh, all over the the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I kid. I kid. Um, no, I was going to ask, um, the question I think probably a lot of Canadian comedians get asked, which is, why are Canadians so damn funny? Um, I think it's the same reason that for a long time Jews were funny. Okay. It's uh, because if you think about comedy, it's essentially tragedy or drama with a little bit of space or time distance. Mm-hmm. And Canadians have that sort of outsider view of the world. We, we're close enough to Britain and to America that we know them extremely well, but we are not of them. Mm -hmm. In the same way that for a long time, Jews have been sort of part of a culture, but not, not really of the culture. You know, we're in the society, but we're, but we're separate at the same time. Right. 
Uh, is so there that little bit of perspective, outsider perspective, is natural for comedy? Okay. Is there a particular um, Jewish joke that you like to tell? I, I, we can do this because we're both Jewish. Oh well, I mean, I I have tons of my act is about being Jewish. Okay, but you don't have any like. Uh, you know, two men walk into a bar kind of... Oh, you mean classic Jewish... Classic. What's your classic Jewish joke? Um, oh, there's so many that are funny. I mean, the, the, the classic is the, the woman, you know, the grandmother at the beach. You know this one. Oh, the hat? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have to tell it. The hat. I mean, the one, the one that I find very sort of darkly funny is the two Jewish guys walking down the street at night. Okay. And, and one of them looks back, and there's a couple of guys behind them, and he says, we better get out of there. We better get out of here. There's two of them, and we're alone. <laughs> now, it's something, does a... Does a I do a bit about, uh, I do a bit about uh, being approached by Jews for Jesus. Okay. You know them? Yep. You yep. Know those guys who want to convert the four remaining Jews to Christianity, the mm. Jews for Jesus? Yeah. They're asking me for money. I said, uh, I said, sorry, I gave all my money to Muslims for Moses. <laughs> and he says to me, well, you won't go to heaven if you don't accept Jesus. I said, that's not true. Jews go to heaven. When Jesus answers the door, we say, hi, is your dad home? <laughs> this is gold. Gold, I say. Gold, I tell you. Gold, Jerry, gold. Oh, my gosh. There was, that reminded me of a joke, but now I can't remember it. It was... A friend of mine actually once sent me my business is the ability to remember the joke. My friend once sent me a whole bunch of um uh gentile jokes which were like um you know uh a couple are go out for dinner and the waiter asks the man what he would like and he says I'll have you know a steak medium rare with a salad and french dressing um and some garlic bread. And he says to the woman, what would you like? And she says, I'll have, you know, the veal chops with, uh, with the fresh greens and a side salad, uh, Caesar with the dressing on. And the waiter says, thank you very much. I'll be back shortly with your meal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you could do it like, uh, and the waiter comes by and says, is everything okay? And they say, thank you. Delightful. Exactly. <laughs> and, but like, and you know, the classic Jewish joke is, the table of Jewish women and the waiter goes over to them and says, ladies, is anything okay? Yeah, exactly. These are great. But now, does everybody get these jokes when you tell them on stage? Uh, well, I don't do, it depends which ones. I mean, I mean, I do the, the ones I told you about the, the Jews for Jesus mm -hmm. for everyone. But when I've got a Jewish crowd, I have other jokes I do. Right. For them that only they would get. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's different. You know, like I'll make jokes about about how, you know, the trouble with Jewish food. Two weeks later, you're hungry again. <laughs> so you've been to my mother's house, have you? Exactly. So <laughs> Jews get that. Non-Jews might not. Right, right. Oh, that's very funny. But Jews don't like to eat on an empty stomach. No, that's true. Very true. <laughs> now, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that... Um, this week, or maybe even today, it's the 25th anniversary of the passing of, of John Candy. Yes. And do, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's very sad, but I mean, you know, it's also, um, 
it's not a shock. I mean, he, he yeah. lived not a particularly healthy lifestyle, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's sad, but it's, it's also, you know, it's, it's the more likely scenario than say the Keith Richards who nobody can believe. Right. I, I once heard somebody say whether we knew it or not, everybody had a favorite John Candy movie or movie that he might've been in. Um, do you have one? Uh, well, I mean, I, I still think of him more from Second City SCTV than I do from the movies. For frankly. sure. You know, like I preferred him on television to the movies. I found the movies kind of, uh, you know, they were classic kind of 80s um, formulaic movies for the most part. Right. So the, the, it was not my favorite period of comedy, frankly. Re- oh, no. Film. Um, but I mean, I think about like Johnny LaRue in the, in the Chinese restaurant. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, Ordering the authentic Chinese way, and the waiter saying, "You told me to throw noodles in your face." <laughs> <laughs> or is Paul Fisk in your face? Remember that violent guy with Dave Thomas as the the terrified guest on his show? No, I don't oh, know. Oh, he was so funny. I I remember Harry, the guy with the snake on his face. Of course. And uh, who's the mayor? Tommy Chi? No. Gags. What was it? Shanks, Mayor Tommy Shanks. That's right, and he would do those awkward fireside chats. Yeah, where he was clearly insane, and then, then he runs for election from inside the mental institute. I mean, there were just brilliant sketches and characters. He was he was brilliant. Yeah. And the other thing about him was he had such a sweetness. Like, he played a total perv, but he was such a sweet guy underneath that it didn't... It, there was no creep factor, even though he was playing creep. Right. Right, like Harry the guy with the snake on his face. Exactly. Or wait, he was he also in the uh, Joe Flaherty sketches with the um, can't. Oh my God, what's I'm blanking here. The vampire dude. Yes, he was Doctor Tongue. Doctor Tongue, of course. <laughs> I might have friends who listen to this and be shocked. Yeah. <laughs> Remember they did they did a remake of of uh, Midnight Cowboy. No. Where he was, he was Joe Buck. How are you doing, y'all? I'm a stud, a gigolo. <laughs> you don't remember that? It was so funny. No, I'm sure it's on. Uh... Levy as Bruno was Ratso. Okay, I'm I'm sure it's on um, YouTube it somewhere. Be on YouTube, yeah. Who knows? But, oh yeah, no, they, I mean they were all fantastic. They were they were just brilliant those shows, and Candy was just. Amazing. Yeah. He was amazing. The other thing about him that I loved also was, you know, he was such a he was such a an unlikely star, mm-hmm. and it was never about him being fat. You know, it was never the joke was never just here's a big fat guy. Right. You know, it was just he was a character in his own way. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I was once um, in Ottawa, well, I live in, I always, I keep saying this over and over, but I live in Virginia now, but I grew up in Ottawa. I spent most of my life there. And I was walking through the Chateau Laurier one day, and Eugene Levy was in town to get his either Order of Canada or Governor General uh, Performing Arts Award, I can't remember. And I saw him, and I just went up to him and I said, Yasher Koach. And he thanked me very much, and we went our separate ways. Yeah, well, Levy was brilliant. I mean, they, they were a brilliant cast. They did everything perfectly. You yeah. know, they, they had uh, flawless, flawless delivery, and, and they wrote brilliant stuff. 
And is it something that we'll never see again, that, that type of comedy? No, of course we'll see it again, but who knows when? Mm-hmm. I mean, people always say this will never be, you know, they, they, every, every two years they talk about how there's never going to be any more sitcoms, and then suddenly there's a hit sitcom and sitcoms are back, or there'll never be another romantic comedy, and suddenly that's, you know, they're always bringing things back. People thought westerns were finished after the 60s, and then suddenly there was a huge resurgence. Right. Things always come back. So you said, though, that the 80s wasn't your favorite um, period for, for film comedy. No. Which, what, what decade, what, what genre, well, what genre we're talking comedy, what decade? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you know, the 70s had Monty Python and all those sort of bizarre, you know, sort of, like, I mean, being there was in the 80s. And that was brilliant. Yeah. But, but I'm saying that the sort of more commercial stuff in the 80s was dull to me. The John Hughes and all that stuff. I didn't find that nearly as interesting as, you know, Where's Popeye in the 60s or, or uh, Little Murders or, you know, Woody Allen stuff mm-hmm. in the 70s. Or, I mean, that, that to me was much cl- more clever and interesting than your standard, you know, two guys in a car going off a cliff and yelling for a long time. That happened a lot in the 80s. <laughs> but what about um, screwball com or like your airplanes or your naked guns? Oh, yeah, that was terrific. But that was that was very much in the Mel Brooks mold. Right. You know, I mean, they just read faster because they were younger. Okay. You know what I mean? But it wasn't like, to me, that wasn't, that wasn't like really a new kind of comedy. That was a very old school kind of comedy that they did again. And it was brilliant, but it was, it was what it was. I mean, it was very much of that type. I mean, to me, nobody's ever been as funny as Monty Python and the Marx Brothers. Okay. At this point. I mean, I can still watch Night at the Opera and laugh at how outrageous Groucho is. Even though today everybody talks dirty and everything, the society is so much coarser that it's it's way less of a stepping out than it was for Groucho to behave the way he did with the sort of uptightness of society back then. Right. Um, but it's funny, like, I, I wonder if you were to go to, you know, uh, well, if you were to ask 10 people on the street if they know who Groucho is, what do you think the response would be? I think it would depend how old they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a whole generation who don't... I, I, I'll watch, there's a network down here where they show old Carsons. And I would prefer to watch an old episode of Johnny Carson and the monologue, which to somebody today would make no sense, is just as funny to me now as it would have been then. Well, yeah, and he was a master. I mean, and remember, you remember like, I mean, now we look at the scene and there's what, six at night? Mm-hmm. <laughs> About 11 o'clock or something? Yeah. But, I mean, back then, Carson was king, and they kept trying to, you know, the other channels kept trying to knock him off or, or at least compete with him. Nobody could come close. Yeah. If Johnny was on, nobody watched anything else. Yeah, I, w- I was watching an episode once, and he had, like, <laughs> Diane Fossey was on. She had just returned from a trip to Africa. Where she right. was looking, you know, observing the gorillas, and I really wanted, and she was looking forward to her next trip, and I googled it, and her next trip was the last trip, and I kind of wanted a time machine to go back and go, no, don't go, don't go, bad idea. Well, but why? Why shouldn't she go? 
Well, she got killed on that trip. Yeah, but who says she would have lived if she'd stayed? That's true. Now we're See, no. to me, this is a common. What you just said is one of my most common um, issues I have with people. People often sit around and go, "If only I." Oh, I wish I, because people have this idealized fantasy version of the thing they didn't do. Okay. But they only actually know what happened. They don't know what would have happened. There's every chance that had they taken that other road, they'd be more miserable than the road they took that they're not completely happy with. Okay. I think that's an optimistic way to look at it. Well, I'm just saying it, it's it's realistic to right. say you don't know. You know, I mean... I meet occasionally a comedian who's not doing so well, and they say, gee, I wish I'd stayed and gone to law school. But I know so many lawyers who are so miserable in their life and wish they were comedians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't, you don't actually know what the, what the other choice would have led to. Do you, do you find that some of the funniest people you know are not comedians? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's... But, the thing about comedians isn't that they're necessarily the funniest people. I mean, I am. <laughs> but <laughs> the thing about the thing about comedians is they can be funny on demand in front of an audience that expects them to be funny. Right. It's a much easier thing to just be funny on occasion when the moment calls for it. You know, people aren't expecting it. Their 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 standard is lower than when they're looking at you and are paid to get in to be made to laugh. Yeah. Yeah, is there anybody bugging somebody who's not expecting it and getting in a cage with a guy who wants to fight you? Right. Is there anybody who you watch today and you're really impressed with their their comedy, their their comic timing, their material? Uh, trying to think if there's anybody who I watch and go, "Wow, this guy or this girl is really something." Um, there are some. There are lots of comedians I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I may be actually at the point now where I'm just, I know too much. Right. And frankly, there hasn't been a Richard Pryor since Richard Pryor. I mean, he was somebody who, the first time I heard Richard Pryor, I went, this guy is just a different level of funny and and intensity and cleverness and, and performing ability. Like, you know, he had everything that makes a comedian brilliant. Right. Like, I'll hear jokes where I go, oh, my God, that is a fantastic joke. But a comedian who has, you know, nothing but fantastic jokes and the ability to really perform and the persona that you really want to hear and has a point of view that you can't believe is, you know, his own or her own that you've never heard before, that's a rare combo, and I haven't seen anybody who has all of that. At once, and you know, if there was that, we'd know. We, you know, they would be very famous, right? And he also had, um, you know, after his uh, his his incident where he set himself on fire, he really incorporated that into his material. Well, he incorporated everything in his life into his act. I mean, he was he was somebody who had no wall between his act and his life, mm-hmm. which is also very rare. Right, and he was able to... Sp- I mean, I'm a very self-conscious person compared to that. I, I, you know, my act is an act, for sure. There's not a lot of personal stuff in it? Well, I think my point of view comes across in my act, but I'm not sitting there talking about what happened to me. Right. Personally. Okay. 
Okay. Um, would you be okay with a second or two just talking about your late brother, uh, David? Okay. And, um, I mean, he was a, a, a real tour de force in, in, in what he did, correct? Well, he was a genius. Right. I mean, my brother had, had a, an ability with words that almost nobody in the modern age has. He was just, I mean, he was literally a poet, right? His last, his last book was, was a rhyming novel. But not like Dr. Seuss, but for grown-ups. Right. Now, how long... No nonsense words, either. How long... Dr. Seuss cheated. You know, he'd make up words. Right, if it, if it didn't fit the... <laughs> if it didn't fit, he'd just make something up. My brother, my brother was absolutely one of the greatest writers of the modern age, without question. Now, a book that he did, that you said, all in a rhyme, how long did, did that take him? I have no idea. My brother worked incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the other thing. He wasn't just brilliant. He was also extremely productive. Yeah. I mean, I, I waste all my time. My brother wasted very little time. When I was talking to your sister, or actually it wasn't talking. I, um, I had written something once on Facebook about, I have a horrible fear of flying. Um, but it has nothing to, sorry. As do I when oh, I go. Well, so your sister, I post, I put something on Facebook about how I was, you know, making my first solo trip in a long time, and she wrote something really nice to me about how your brother would sometimes grab the hand of a stranger when he would fly. Right. And it, it kind of comforted me that she put me in such wonderful company. Yeah, no, no, my brother was also very afraid to fly. Well, let's face it, it's clearly impossible. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I know I've seen it, but even so, there's no way a thing that heavy can get off the ground. Yeah, but it doesn't. I think it only works because we all believe. And Is that, it's like a Peter... Sometimes I have some doubts, and it, I think I'm going to bring us down. It's a Peter Pan thing, like close your eyes and believe? Exactly. <laughs> it's like the coyote, when he, he can stay in the air, but when he looks down, he's finished. Exactly. <laughs> and yet he always manages to have a sign that says help or yelp. I know. Well, he clearly anticipated it and prepared. He, it's funny to watch those old cartoons now with everything edited out. All the smashing and the hitting and the falling. It's sad. Mm -hmm. It's sad. Uh, yes, but, you know, like all comedy, it's only sad if it's real. The fact that it's not actually happening is what makes it funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if the Three Stooges got poked in the eye and came up blind and bleeding, that would not be, that would be horror. That, that would be it. No one, no one's made that movie, huh? Where the Three Stooges do get blinded. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, I mean, that's what they did with Itchy and Scratchy. That was the joke. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But because, again, it's a cartoon, we know it's not real. Yeah. I, I was also thinking, um... Just the other day, Catherine Hellman passed away. The uh, the matri yeah. Now, what were your thoughts on the show Soap? I liked Soap in its day. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it really broke the mold. I, I've I've watched it. There's some reruns that are on here, and the dialogue is just so bang on. It's really amazing that it's. I, I think they had, they had a lot of funny. I mean, I think I think Billy Crystal might have been one of the first gay characters on TV. Yeah. Yeah, he. And you remember they had the ventriloquist. For sure. They nuts, right? It was fun though. Yeah, yeah, Chuck. I actually, I the guy, Jay Johnson, who who uh, played Chuck, 
um, I guess he played Chuck and Bob. He had a one-man show on Broadway that I went to see, and it was really fascinating just to hear his whole story about how he became a ventriloquist. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, sure. It's, well, they're all kind of crazy ventriloquists, I think. You ever Have you ever worked uh, with a ventriloquist act? Of course. Yeah? Yeah. And I think they're all kind of nuts. I mean, I remember one talking to the puppet after the show, you know, about the show. <laughs> And did the puppet do well? I'm saying it, the act was good, but then he was talking to him like a partner. Like, you know, like we got to work on this and we got to do that. And I thought, okay. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. I thought you were talking to the puppet. I didn't hear no, properly. No, not me. He well, was. Okay, that's a little weird. I'm yeah. erotic, but I'm not nuts. <laughs> what does your t-shirt say that uh, I've seen people wearing? Oh, it's my, uh, yeah, it's my slogan. Comedy is not a job, it's a personality disorder. That's right, that's right. And you'll stand yeah. by that? Of course. Uh, I um, mean, real, real comedians, a lot of people are funny and they try it, but a real comedian, it's sort of like, you can't help it. There's a, there's a lack of filter that makes it hard to, you know, do regular stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do a joke in my act where I say, I tried to have a regular job, but I, I lost it. I, I didn't realize Casual Fridays was about clothing. <laughs> so I was calling my boss motherfucker. I, I was actually going to ask you if you've ever held like a nine-to-five job. I have held jobs, yes, you... of course. Over the years, I've had to, sure. Yeah. It's been a little while, but, but yeah, I, I have. And I'm imagining that helped with the material. Well, everything in life helps you. I mean... And that's why, for instance, there was a period in the 80s where comedy sort of boomed and a lot of clubs were open and a lot of people were making a living in comedy. Mm -hmm. And the problem became that all they knew was hotels and airplanes. So every act was about hotels and airplanes and occasionally what was on television because, you know, they had no life outside of the road. Right. You know, so in fact, it's it's good to have other things going on because, you know, the audience can't relate at a certain point. I mean, this is why sometimes what happens with comedians when they become very successful is they become less funny because all they know is, you know, their millionaire lifestyle that the audience actually can't relate to. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I find it hard to go. I like comedy in a club, in a small venue, um, maybe like the biggest venue I think I've seen comedy in has been, um, you know, at the National Arts Center in Ottawa with, you know, in the, in the auditorium, in the main auditorium. How do you feel about stadium comedy? Well, it's a little ridiculous and it certainly wouldn't be something I would want to do. I mean, Steve Martin quit because of that. Yeah, because it was, it, yeah, it, I find like you watch. You can't tell what's funny anymore. Yeah. They're just screaming at everything. I'll watch a talk show and, you know, the comedian will come on and they get applause but not laughs. Have you noticed that? That's called clapter. That's the new thing. Oh, oh People have learned to pander to the, to the belief system of the crowd instead of writing good jokes or challenging them in any way. Well, now, though, like a challenge could kind of end your career. Well, if I had a career, I guess I'd be concerned. <laughs> I think you have a career. Yeah, sure. But again, it's small. And part of the reason it's small is that I'm not interested. First of all, 
the idea of being really famous is not just not appealing, but unappealing to me. Okay. I like the fact that I can just live my life. Yeah. I hate the thought that I would have to interact with every person I ran into in the course of a day just because, you know, I don't want to piss off the fans or be caught on video going, oh, leave me alone, man. Yeah. <laughs> if I see you, can you tell me to leave you alone? Well, you I've met. <laughs> no, I know, but like, I'd like to go up to you and, and, and never mind. It's, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's uh, not that I, no, I mean, when somebody does recognize me, it's a nice change and I'm polite and it's, it's pleasant. If somebody comes up to me and goes, hey, I saw your show, that was cool. Yeah. You know, that was great. In fact, I, I took a train to Ottawa recently and uh, one of the attendants on the train had just seen my, me headline at the club and said so. Oh, okay. That was really cool. It's nice. But I'm saying if you're famous, it's nonstop. Yeah. You're constantly surrounded by people going, hey, I'm a big fan. I like you. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I, I would find that very difficult. Um, and I know I'm, I'm kind of jumping, but you, you do do a lot of radio, huh? Yeah, I love the radio. Yeah, you do, um, the debaters, right? I think you... I'm on the debaters. That's what I went to Ottawa for on the train. So is that taped in front? I haven't listened to it. Um, but is that taped in front of a live audience? Oh yeah. They get a huge audience. They do it in the theater. Um, they need an audience cause they're the ones who vote. Okay. They decide who wins. And are you throwing the topics the day of? No, no, no. We know what we're going to talk about. You got a little prep time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's important. I look at it like a pro wrestling match. I try to work it out with my opponent so that it's an entertaining debate. Okay. I'll sometimes give them points and insults to use against me. Okay. Okay, because it makes for a better show. Right. Well, it's not like wrestling bad guys are upset they're losing. No. no. <laughs> At a wrestling match, somebody once said to me, because the first guy fighting was like, you know, the mask one, and the second guy fighting was the mask two, and he said, how do we know that mask two isn't fighting in the first fight? It's a good point. Yes, and you often do. Mm -hmm. And they often do. Often the reason they wear a mask, in fact, is so that they can do more than one match. Right. How... <laughs> Now that we're going down the wrestling road, do you have any um, other do you have you must have hobbies? Actually, I, I there's a local wrestling outfit called Greek Town. Okay. They wrestle on the Danforth in a church. Wow. Uh, every couple of months, and I always go see them. They're terrific. They're fun. Um, but I don't know if I really have hobbies. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with my daughter and and. Um, you know, I like to do things. I like to cook. I like cryptic crossword puzzles. Okay. Those are fun. They work your brain in, in a way like joke writing does. But, um, but no, I'm not really a, I'm not a hobby guy, really. And also, you're, you're working on the weekends, which is a big well, hobby time. That too, of course. Yeah. I work when other people are off. I'm off now. Right. Does that... Tonight I'll go host at the club. Oh, you are working tonight. Okay. Yeah. And I host all week at Absolute Comedy up the street. So is is Absolute, because I notice on your Facebook as well, you do Absolute in Ottawa uh, quite often. Is that sort of your... Ottawa, Kingston, and Toronto. Is that like your home club, I guess? 
I suppose. I mean, the one up the street from me here in Toronto, I suppose, would be closest to my home club. But, I mean, I'm not there often enough to have a real home club anywhere. But there's so many places I can go and work that, it, you know, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you were saying, in the 80s, comedy clubs were everywhere, and now it seems like they've gone back to just a few. Exactly. Well, that's what happens. I mean, I remember when there were discos in, yeah. <laughs> all over Toronto. That's true. And now there are churches. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? I'm going to end this one here. I'm I'm happy that the, the stuff... Something I said? No, God, no. No, this is <laughs> great. I'm just worried my computer hasn't crashed yet. When I talked to your sister, Ruth... I think I did it over two days because the computer kept crashing. Oh, that's fun. Um, but uh, well, thanks for having me. Oh no, thank you for for agreeing to this. I really appreciate it. And do you, my pleasure. You, I know you have a website. Let, you want to plug that? Yes, www.simonrakoff.com. Like Fred Flintstone. Okay. Com. And you could find recordings there, and merch there, and your schedule there. Videos, I'm, download my album yeah sure fantastic i'm gonna go do that as soon as i edit this and get it up beautiful simon i really appreciate this and and good for you for helping spearhead the uh the um well i was just a little part of the spear but yes but it worked uh, it's terrific have Uh, have you guys had like an association meeting oh we've had several yes they must be hysterical uh, there's some laughs, but you know, we got important issues in business too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with the industry in this country in, in terms of the fairness. Um, you know, there's a lot of people making a lot of money and none of them are the actual comedians. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're working to, to get a little bit of equity out of, out of the business here. Well, I hope we can talk about it uh, at a at another time when it Anytime. works. In... This was a pleasure. It was great, Simon. Really, I really appreciated it. And I'm gonna when I wrap this up uh, and record my own thing, I'm gonna plug your website again. So thank you so much. Great. Be well. You too. Bye. There it is. I always say that. There it is. There you have it. There it was. That was it. That was my time speaking with Simon Rakoff. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. I enjoyed. My uh, my interaction with him. Uh, who knows who's going to be my next guest? I'm, I've, I've got some feelers out there, uh, and I don't mean frisky little hands. I've got some irons in the fire, and I don't mean actual irons in the fire. Uh, but I, what I did want to do, as I said, I was going to uh, tell you what his um, his uh, site was, and it is simonrakoff.com. Uh, you spell that. Well, Simon is S-I-M-O-N, and Rakoff, R-A-K-O-F-F, dot com. And you can find all of his, um, you can find some videos, uh, his uh, tour dates, his uh, bio. You can download his albums, his his, uh, CDs, his audio recordings, whatever you might want to call it. Check out his website, uh, SimonRakoff.com. And once again, I want to thank him, and I want to thank... Everybody for listening to this one. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. It was uh, a good time talking to Simon. Thank you so much. I'm going to be back maybe next week, maybe the week after. I don't know. I'm playing it by ear right now. And um, we'll see. So thanks for listening. Uh, there's something weird going on with my microphone right now. Uh, but you can find me 
on Twitter at the Real John Baker. On Facebook, we're probably friends. You can go to the website, the number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word right dot com. Thanks for downloading the podcast and listening, and I'll uh, come back at you soon. Soon. Take care. Bye. Too lazy to write.